we do it like we do it. Hey guys, this is Joy. And this is Claire. And this is Joy and Claire. This episode is sponsored by Four Sigmatic, the makers of the amazing adaptogen boosting magical powders that you can add to your life in any way that you like. You know what? They have some that you take in the morning, take for your gut, add to smoothies. There's so many options. You can support the podcast by going to foursigmatic.com forward slash joy to receive a discount off your order. That's foursigmatic, F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C forward slash joy to receive a discount and support the podcast at the same time. We've been getting tagged in a lot of your guys' stuff about how you're loving for a Sigmatic. It is just like that perfect little in-between and you want something that is still going to give you a little bit of a boost, but is not going to like make you feel all crazy and it's not going to keep you up at night. So Four Sigmatic is the perfect thing for that. If you have not tried their products yet, I know it can be a little bit like, um, am I drinking like mushroom water? This feels weird. They have sampler packs on their website so you can try out all the different flavors. You don't have to commit to like a bunch of one flavor and then find out you don't really like it. But I love it. Joy loves it. And we think you're going to love it too. So give it a shot. Foursigmatic.com forward slash joy. Thank you for supporting the brands that support our podcast. And don't we always need a beverage of some sort. I love beverages. Yeah. This is how, so Brandon, when we drive anywhere, like to the store, he has to have like a comfort mug. Oh, really? So like we'll order a coffee and he, and like a lot of times we'll drink coffee at home. And then if we go out to coffee, we'll, we'll split like an additional latte or something. And he wants to hold it. And he, and I'm like, Brandon, can I, are you, can I have some of that? And he's like, oh yeah, sorry. I just, I need to hold. It's like a, it's like a blankie. Yeah. It's like his blankie. He has beverage blankies. Yeah, comfort coffee. Yes. He has beverage blankies. Like we went skiing the other day and he was like, didn't know what to do with his hands while he was driving because he didn't bring a coffee with him. He was like, I thought I was going to be okay with this, but I'm not <laughs> like, <laughs> I need my comfort coffee. That is so funny. I love having beverages at all times. I'm like a beverage. I'll have like 10 different yeah I know you know this I'm like we're about to go to LA you're about to see the the uh beverage oh my gosh. wrath happen when, when I go to those fancy like juice bars remember when we spent like $50 on juice like how could we forget that uh, yeah. at Erwan <laughs> yeah I do that was like oh not even at Erwan it was at like the juice we're gonna go we're, there again you know we're gonna spend totally going there that place was so good it's what like was this it very like very Juice, oh, gosh, hold on. I don't know, but it felt like a, it felt like a tiki bar on the inside. And it, it was a tiki bar and it was a very, very, like, almost like a pun name, some type of punny name. Wasn't it pressed? Pressed? I don't think it was pressed. It was like... No. Creation with a K. That's oh, I knew it. I knew it. I Creation knew it with a K. Organic cafe with a K and juicery. It's on Abbott Kinney and it's everything. We literally spent fifty dollars on like little juices and little like wellness shots. And Joy was like just in her element. So funny. Oh, God, it's so so. I bad. feel like we have so, like so strayed very far from the Four Sigmatic. This is no yeah. longer that. Sorry. Now but we beverages are, just... are great. <laughs> Honoring all beverages of our life, and we would also appreciate it if you support our sponsor, Four Sigmatic. <laughs> Discount code Joy. Thank you so much for joining the the show. Beverage bandwagon. Oh my gosh. (laughs) All right. So we're going to jump into our first topic of the day du jour. We have so many things to catch up on, I feel like, because last week we had a guest and all these things start happening and we have to, we try our best to keep track of all the current events. So we have a lot to catch up on, but uh, I really want to start with the daily episode that I posted this past week. So we're recording this on Sunday, February 16th. So I don't know if you subscribe to the daily. If you don't, you should. It's a great podcast by the New York Times. And so they just do like daily news stories. I like that it's not just, they're not just spouting off news. Like everyone does the news. You can get the daily headlines everywhere. But this one was, so this episode was on Friday, February 7th, and it was the woman defending Harvey Weinstein, Weinstein. I always want to say Weinstein. 
Harvey Weinstein. Harvey Weinstein. We all know who you're talking Thank about. You. Okay. So it's the woman, it's his lawyer, right? So so Megan Tui, who wrote, she, she co-wrote, she said, I don't know if if you've read the book, you should read the book. It's a great book. It's all about the sexual harassment story that ignited the Me Too movement and really kind of made all of this blow up. And so Megan Tui, she's phenomenal. She interviewed Donna Rotuno, who is the lead defense attorney. And I think they were just, you know, the trial's going on right now. And so, of course, they're wanting to talk to her and get her perspective. Of, I think we all can kind of sit here and go, how can you defend someone like this? Uh, how can you defend really bad murderers? You know, like those types of feelings that we have about the judicial, judicial system. And so I listened to this just kind of trying to have an open mind. And I was like, at the end, I was so furious. I was so furious for so many reasons. And my first thought was I have to talk to one of my best friends, Gary, who is You've all heard of Gary. He's the guy who introduced me to CrossFit. I used to work with him at the DA's office. I'm really close friends with him and his wife. They're wonderful, phenomenal people. They, too, have a CCI animal, and they work in the courtroom helping victims test. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So their dog, Pella works in (gasps) rooms to help victims Uh, testify. I mean, I know Pella, obviously. It's Pella. (laughs) Pella Bear. Pella Roo. So Pella is one of JT's friends. And so if you guys are just listening to this episode and you don't know who JT is, JT is my service animal. Pella is, so they kind of got, they've got me, they got me so involved in a lot of things. They got me involved in CrossFit. They introduced me to CCI. And so really, really close with them and they do wonderful, wonderful work. So the first thing I thought it was, I was like, I got to talk to Gary and I, I really wanted to have him on here because he has, he's worked in SVU for, I don't know, 20 some odd years and he does this for a living. And so I, I I was like, I texted him. I'm like, I'm really upset. I have so many things to process. So we're going to call him really quick and we're going to talk through some of these issues because I needed someone to have a lawyer perspective to kind of explain. And if you haven't, let me just preface this. I'm not going to go through the whole details of this episode. If you want to really know what we're talking about, I really encourage you to go to the daily right now, like pause this episode. It's only about a half hour long. Um, the, daily episode is 33 minutes long. So if you want to pause our episode right now, listen to it, then come back. You'll have a better what we're talking about. I just don't want to rehash the whole episode because it's just not worth it. Like go back, listen to that. And then February 7th, February 7th, Friday, February 7th episode of the daily. I am going to, so Gary's on the line with us and he's on the line. Hey caller, I talked to Gary last week because I was like, I'm really upset about this episode and I really want your opinion because I feel like you can have you can kind of be my rational brain because like the brain that I went to was like, how can this woman do this? How can she say sh- such hurtful things? And Gary's like, okay, what do you, you got to start from square one. Like, what do you mean by this? So the first thing I asked you, Gary was like, okay, I, I'm trying to understand the law. If there's anything I learned from working at the DA's office is like, I can look at something and be like, that's wrong. But from your perspective, like your job is to prove someone innocent or guilty based on the law. Like, it's not about whether someone is like, quote unquote, right or wrong. And I think that's where I get really caught up because I'm like, how can this woman morally defend this guy? And so can you just start about like what you said about her and like her brand and like, that's her thing. (laughs) That's her shtick. Sure. I mean, first of all, I'm not going to say that what she said isn't appropriately aggravating or inflammatory. It is. But there's a couple of things you have to keep in mind. One is her job as a defense attorney. Her job is to defend people who are accused of these kind of crimes. And literally her brand is, as they described in the podcast, is 
her sort of niche is men who've been accused of this stuff. So this is the sort of thing that she does. So when she's speaking in that podcast, she is speaking uh, from a couple of different levels. One, to a broader audience, and that's potential clients, men who hear this thing and say, hey, there's a woman out there who gets me. You know, it's not my fault. This woman entrapped me in this behavior. The other part of it is to keep in mind is that, you know, there's philosophical differences in the law. I am the side of the law that believes that most cops are trying to do the best job they can. Victims are trying to tell the truth the best they can. She comes from the exact opposite. So whenever you think about pretty much any kind of discussion, whether it's political or otherwise, there's always going to be some sort of foil on the other side. And she certainly, it's not uncommon for people to have the point of view growing up that cops lie, you know, witnesses lie, you know, the system is rigged, that sort of stuff. And those people tend to become defense attorneys. So it's sort of a philosophical thing that she brings with her that she has probably seen. And, you know, you probably built in a little uh, confirmation bias in there, you know, through her career. She's like, aha, you know, I've gotten these people, uh, these these innocent men off. And, uh, you know, so this is the sort of thing that, that happens all the time. Can you just briefly, I kind of jumped in a little bit. Can you briefly just tell our listeners what you do for a living and what you've been doing for the past forever? Sure. I've been a DA my entire legal career. So since 1996, I've been in a DA and the vast majority of that since about 2001 has been working in special victims crimes. So crimes against women, domestic violence, sex abuse, child abuse, and child sexual abuse. For people who have literally no idea what that world is, can you just expand about what a DA is and what what, that role means inherently? For those who've never seen Law & Order, basically I'm the side that gets a case from the police department, uh, speaks with victims, makes a decision about how the case should be handled, if the case should go forward. And if the case goes to trial, I'm the side that represents the state, although in reality, it's usually the victim uh, and some uh, you know, witnesses that we're trying to uh, have on the stand to talk about what's happened to them, what they've seen, what they've heard, that sort of stuff. So basically, I'm the side that, that uh, when a case comes in from the, the victim side, I'm representing for lack of a better term, the victim. It's a little bit more complicated than that, but that's basically the side. I'm the person prosecuting the person accused of a crime. So, and I get that, and I'm like, that's what we're all for. We're all for, like, the good guy, right? And so I think what really bothered me on so many levels was, I was like, Gary, how can she just walk in and say, you know, I, he deserves a voice. Like, I'm trying to give him a voice and... And also the thing that bothered me, if women want equal rights, they need to take responsibility as well. Like they need to take equal responsibility. Well, one of the things is, again, sort of from a a philosophical point of view, when when lawyers sort of are going through the sorting hat, if you will, of what they want to do for a living, um, the people who kind of gravitate to the defense side, and, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with this, is the Constitution literally says that every person is guaranteed to have uh, the right to an attorney. So there are people who take that to heart, and they say, hey, I want to represent the person accused by the state uh, by what happens. So there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with that point of view. I happen to be from the side that I am more sympathetic to victims. I more uh, empathize with victims than the person who's accused of these kind of crimes. But there's it's certainly not uncommon. There's a you know whole entire community of defense attorneys out there, some of whom I'm good friends with, who have these points of view. Uh, I think what people have a difficult time dealing with a lot of times is sorting out 
when people have to represent you know, reprehensible crimes like sex abuse or child abuse and things like that. And at the end of the day, the defense attorney's job, in a nutshell, is to make sure that the state meets their burden of proof. That's what their job is. Now, there's certainly defense attorneys who go beyond that, and they want to uh, not just hold the state to their, their burden, but destroy the victim or attack the victim and show that they're not credible and things like that. But that's, you know, I would say that's not necessarily at the base what they're supposed to be, um, why they're doing what they're doing. Now, as far as the responsibility portion, that's a whole nother nutshell. I don't know if you want to kind of, because that kind of, I think probably the most revealing thing in that interview was the fact when she said uh, she was asked at the end whether or not she'd ever been a victim. And she said no, and then throws out there, because I never put myself in that position. Oh, right, 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 right. Like, hold on, let me pause you really, really quick. Because the other thing I think you said when you and I talked briefly offline was the point that this attorney makes about how women are turning reporting, like we've turned this into celebrity, a celebrity victim stance. Like now victims are celebrities, she says. And that's just wrong on so many levels. But the other thing was, can you talk a little bit about the statistics of false reporting? Let's back up for a second. Joy, I feel like the people who have not heard this interview, I feel like we're kind of pushing through a little bit of assuming that that everyone listened. And I just want to make sure that people don't feel left behind in this conversation. Because so can you talk a little bit more joy about that comment and about that was the point that you like swerved off the road. And yeah. Raged. And I think, yeah. And I'm trying to kind of meet in the middle too, where like, I really want people to listen to the episode so they have the full context. But what she basically was saying was that false reporting, right? So, so these victims are coming for different, maybe a number of reasons now that be, that coming forward, you all of a sudden become a celebrity or that it's actually, there's nothing to lose, she says, by coming forward and reporting so that you can destroy these men's or, you know, whoever's lives by doing some type of false report and getting rewarded for it. So instead of in the past, maybe reporting, you have a lot to lose. Now the the public supports you so much that we have to believe women, which I'm like, yes, we need to believe women. Like for years, we didn't believe women, but she, her stance is now there's nothing to lose. So everyone's coming out of the woodwork and reporting. Everyone's coming out and being rewarded for it, even if the reports are false. So then I was, so then I wanted to talk to Gary about like that stance of, so let's talk about false reporting, where the statistics, especially around sexual violence, sexual assault, because I think that's where she, this attorney, the now it's a celebrity thing to come forward. Yeah, the, the interviewer asked the question, something to the effect of, you know, well, why would why would women make this up? You know, why would why would a woman want to go through something like this? And the, and the, the attorney's response was something along the lines of what Joy said about, you know, well, they get celebrity status from this. And uh, there's a couple things to unpack there. One is statistically, sexual assault is probably the most unreported crime. Uh, in the United States. Uh, underreported. Underreported, as in for every one victim who comes forward, I, well, I think it's something like, more along the lines that for every four victims that come forward, there are six that do not, something along those lines. It's yeah. a significantly underreported crime for a variety of reasons, uh, both male and female. For the male side, you just have to look to the sexual abuse by priests. You know, 40 years later, people are coming out. Uh, totally. But as far as the statistics of false reports, Generally speaking, it's no more higher than other crimes. There's not something where it's like people say that my house got broken into at one percentage and then, you know, 50% of sexual crimes are false reports. That's not the, what the uh, analysis bears out. 
it's a little difficult to unpack the statistics because of how they're reported. Uh, And I don't want to get into the weeds of that unless you want to. But basically, it's about somewhere between 4%, around 4%, uh, which is not significantly higher than other crimes. But part of that also has to do with when is that detected? And a lot of that is detected at the investigation stage, meaning that police get a case that they get a complaint of, they do an investigation, and they don't make an arrest. It can also be later on where they have made an arrest and the reviewing office of the prosecution will look at it and say, you know, we can't proceed. We don't think we can proceed on this case. And so there's a lot of reasons why that those things go go into those stats that's a little bit hard to, to bear out, but it's not significantly higher. And certainly it's not anywhere the epidemic that she made it seem in her responses. Right. She made it sound like it was just this, everyone's coming out of the woodwork and making all these claims. Like, look, here's the thing that I just want to say on a personal level. There's been times in my life where I'm like, should I talk to someone about this? But you don't and you swallow it and you just like let it go because you're like, this is, I don't want to, either I don't want to deal with it. There's millions of reasons why you don't feel safe telling someone about something. And the fact that this is now maybe more supported in the media is a good thing. and And therefore that is why women are coming out and saying it more publicly. Like, why on earth would you want to drag yourself through something, some public shitstorm of sexual assault? Like, why would women want celebrity for that? That just, that makes me so mad that she said that. But yeah. It, it, it is. I mean, I think that's an absolutely ridiculous statement. I mean, it, you, you get, if nothing else, notoriety. But I mean, it's just the sort of thing that, you know, again, in the, in the world of possibility, are there women who may want status for that? Sure. But it's going to be a really, really small percentage. And what they're basically doing is, or she's trying to do, is throw the baby out with the bathwater for all the women who are coming forward with accurate stories and have the courage to come forward about what's happened to them. They're trying to lump them in with basically people who are probably classified as sociopaths. But, you know, I've been doing this for whatever whatever the math is. I can't do lawyer math. So 1996, you do the math. But, you know, I've never had a quote-unquote celebrity victim. It's never been someone that has been, one, enjoyed going through the process, two, uh, looked forward to the process, three, it's a very small percentage you even come out the other side of the process where they feel, I don't even want to say vindicated, but better for having come forward than not having right. come forward. Right. That's a huge point. Like, it is not it is not tied up in a bow by any, by any means. If anything, you're raked through the coals through the process. No, and, and that's, in fact, one of the reasons to kind of dovetail into a sort of a to go off a little bit on the tangent, but one of the reasons why we use a dog like JT that your view, your uh, readers, listeners, whatever the whoever you people are, your your listeners <laughs> are, are familiar with JT. There's another dog that we use in the court system pr- specifically because of the of the traumatization that victims and witnesses go through when they have to talk about traumatic events. And specifically, I mean, you think of the vast majority of your life there's something traumatic that happens to you, you want to kind of push that aside a little bit. And in the criminal justice system, we say, no, you have to sit down and talk about this in great detail. And we're going to have someone else stand up and point out all the inconsistencies in what you had to say and basically accuse you of lying about this. So the system does a good job of re-traumatizing victims. And I can't imagine anyone who'd sign up for that. Exactly. Okay. So jumping ahead a little bit more, because I want to tie this up and I don't want to waste too much of your time because I know you have Pella to walk and Harrison, your amazing husky to walk. So they've already been, they've already been walked just for, 
oh, good job. Good job, yeah. puppers. You brought up a good point. The comment, the last comment she made that I think everyone who listened to this and we got a lot of emails about was at the end, Megan Tui says, is there any last moment, any last comments you want to make? Anyone else have any questions? And then Megan Tui stops herself and says, wait, 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 I have one question. Have you ever been the victim of a sexual assault? And the lawyer says, no, I have not. Pause, 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 beat. Because I would never put myself in a situation like that. And Megan Tui says, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> so, 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 she, you know, she starts backtracking. Like, you can hear in her voice the terror of what this woman just said. Are you saying that now it's everyone's fault for putting themselves in a situation that was dangerous and resulted in a sexual assault. I mean, it, that is where I lost my mind. Why do you think she has that stance? Well, I think there's a couple of things. One goes back to sort of the, you know, the philosophical thing, but the other part of it is it is a pretty common defense mechanism for individuals. But what you were sort of alluding to earlier is it's something that we have to be aware of when we're talking to jurors, because some jurors will have that reaction to, well, this is all about bad decisions. This person put themselves in this position. So it's not really about the uh, offender. It's about the victim making bad choices. So I personally can feel safe from this crime because I can't be victimized if I make good choices. And this person made bad choices. So therefore, you know, there's something else going on here. And that's, that's not uncommon. But there's a lot of problems with that that I think you seized on. One of Probably the biggest one is the fact that there is no – a victim doesn't bear responsibility for the offender's actions. Um, recognizing that there is a risk of something happening is not the same thing as giving someone permission to offend. You know, would, would I, if you want to talk about risk mitigation, would, is it a good idea for you know, a freshman in college to go to a frat party and get drunk? No. Does that excuse or give permission to whatever may happen at that location? Absolutely not. You know, she talks about, well, I've never gone up to a hotel room with a guy before. Well, great. But you shouldn't have to, as part of that analysis, be like, say, well, if I go up there, it's not transactional. It's not if I go up to the hotel room, I have given away consent. It's not uh, if I go to dinner with a guy, I've given away my consent. Again, recognizing that there's there's a risk of a crime happening, and then that crime happens is not the same thing as giving a permission permission to an offender to an offend. The responsibility is entirely on the offender in that behavior. It's not, you know, she shouldn't have been in that position. She's in that position because of the offender. So it, it's right. it's rather incensing to shift that responsibility. Now, again, you can talk in practical terms about risk analysis and, and things like that and saying, you know, you know, you, maybe you sh- wouldn't want to do this. But to use kind of an analogy, it would be like, and this is kind of the unique thing with sex crimes is we do this a lot with victims. But if, you know, think about New Year's Eve. Why do people not like to go out on New Year's Eve? Well, there's all these drunk drivers on the road. But you never hear if someone gets into a crash with a drunk driver, they're like, well, you knew there are a lot of drunk drivers out on the road. Why did you go out there? You're practically inviting someone to hit you. You know, you don't hear sure. that kind of victim victim blaming and risk analysis when you have other types of crimes. No one says, well, you went to the, you know, you went to a bank and then someone, you know, robbed you on the street. Didn't you think that walking to a bank was just inviting you to get, to get robbed? 
you don't hear that kind of stuff except in sex crimes, and that's why it's so upsetting, is that there's this sort of, again, this sort of fundamental fear of women making up stories to entrap helpless men. And it's just something yeah. that... You know, the reality is that's not what's happening. You know, the yeah, it's not no. it's it's not the women who are helpless. It's the men who are victimizing women. Yes. Okay. So the thing too that kind of struck me was about female jurors, especially looking at it. That just baffled me is how you have to pick jurors, and I I feel like we're going so much longer than we plan to, but I really like this conversation because I think it's important for people to understand all the different perspectives, but especially like the jurors that you have to choose and how they are looking at something like this and how jurors are looking at it going, okay, how is this not going to happen to me? And so if they can look at it and be like, well, she just made the wrong decision. I mean, that just is baffling to me. Let me, let me jump in if I can, Joy. Part of it is also it, the, it came up in the interview about, uh, and I can't remember who brought it up exactly. I think it was the interviewer, but, or it may have been the attorney. In any case, at some point, they talk about a stranger dragging someone into an alley. I think their interviewer says, well, don't you think that women get dragged into alleys? And yes, again, that's like, right. that's like that's like 4% of sex assaults. It's it's like basically almost all sex assaults are someone known to the victim. It can be a, a par- passing relationship. It can be a, a former relationship. It can be a current relationship. So the vast majority of the people who commit these crimes are someone known, known to the victim. And part of that goes against, again, people want to believe – that the vast majority of sex assaults are the stranger getting abducted sort of thing, but they're not. And that's where the defense mechanism kicks in because it's like if it's not a stranger, if statistically it's someone that you they're know like, really well and you trust. Right. And so as a buffer to that psychologically, people are like, well, this can't happen to me because I have all these men in my life that I know would never do this. So therefore, this man over here who's accused – probably is not likely to have done this. And I'm talking in very general terms. I'm talking in hypotheticals. But it is something that we do see sometimes with people's reactions where there's that sort of defense mechanism of, well, he's a good guy. I know good guys. It couldn't happen to me. So, right. it, you know, this it's less likely to have happened here. Okay. So it's like a, a way for them to kind of make sense in their mind, like this could not happen to me. And that defense mechanism that makes sense. It's it sucks, but it makes sense. The other thing that uh, we had a listener write in and say, kind of, here's the thing, Gary. I was listening to this episode, trying really hard to listen to both sides and say, okay, I'm going to be open minded about this. I know, you know, everyone deserves to be heard. I guess you know, I'm trying to be open minded. And, you know, she lost me the moment at the end when she said, well, she lost me at a lot of moments, but especially kind of nailed it home when she said, I would never put myself in that position. Completely, completely lost me. But someone wrote in and said, I completely disagree. I think women are supposed to, you know, take care of their surroundings. And haven't you ever read The Gift of Fear of how we are supposed to listen to our gut and our intuition? And I'm like, okay, I'm not trying to be personal here, but there's plenty of times in my life, especially in my young 20s, when I'm like, I don't like the situation I'm in, but I don't know what to do. And I am just going to kind of like try not to make it an issue. And you kind of swallow your pride and you go along with things and you don't speak up. And I'm like, no one, no one in their right mind would say something like that and be like, well, you just put yourself in the wrong situation. I'm like, most of the time you're with someone that you trust or that you're wanting 
to like have a fun night with. And yeah, like your intuition is not failing you. Like you think you're in a safe situation. And it like drove me nuts that people are thinking like, well, you just need to trust your intuition and you need to make sure that you don't put yourself in risky situations. I'm like, good luck with that. What do you live in a box? Like I got so angry because that's just unrealistic. It is so unrealistic to think that we can just rely. Like, look, if I'm like walking down a street at midnight by myself, you better believe I'm going to be like looking around. But when you're to your point, Gary, with most of these situations, these happen with these situations happen with someone, you know, or or an acquaintance or a family member. And I just, I feel like it just makes me so mad to think that there's actually people out there who are just like, these women are, you know, we're these helpless women. Guess what? What men are more powerful than us. So we can't be equal. Like, come on. (laughs) This whole thing of being like, you're, if if women want, want equal rights in this society, we need to take equal responsibility. I'm like, that. I feel like those are two completely different conversations. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the relationship between, you know, trusting your gut and responsibility and things like that. Again, you can talk in terms of risk mitigation. And again, I would, as a base level, I would agree with a lot of those things, just as far as personal protection and stuff, because, you know, quite frankly, the criminal justice system is not going to help a lot of people out in the way that they hope that they will if they are victimized. So as a practical matter, yeah, stay out of the criminal justice system as a victim. But that doesn't change the responsibility of the behavior, and the responsibility of the behavior relies entirely on the criminal. Now, going back to risk mitigation, you know, can this happen if you are hypervigilant? Well, maybe not, but there's no guarantee of that either. And there's risk mitigation everywhere in everyone's lives. We can't live, as you said, in a box or a bubble and say, well, I can't go outside because, you know, another analogy, and maybe this is a poor one, is just talking about walking my dogs this morning. It snowed a ton in Denver. Uh, Not everyone is vigilant about shoveling their sidewalks. Do I know that there's ice on the sidewalks? Yeah. Am I not going to walk the dogs because there's ice out there? Am I going to, you know, stay inside and, and not walk them? No. But, you know, so there is some assumption of the risk on my part, but if I slip on ice, it's not my fault that someone didn't shovel that sidewalk. Now you can say, well, don't step on the ice, but ultimately the responsibility is on the individual who does the crime or, you know, doesn't shovel the sidewalk in that analogy. It's a one-way street. You can talk about risk mitigation, but as far as criminal responsibility, it's on the individual. Okay. So last question, and then I promise we'll let you go, is is there anything that I'm missing because I get very passionate as you've heard? Anything I'm missing from just trying to look at this from Harvey and his lawyer's standpoint? Probably the most difficult thing to keep in mind is that uh, in the criminal justice system, there's a big difference between not guilty and innocent. Innocent means you didn't commit the crime. Not guilty just means that the prosecution can't prove you committed the crime. And so a lot of people say, you know, hey, this person found, was found not guilty. That means that I'm innocent, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, the jury doesn't really find you innocent of a crime. It just means that the district attorney didn't prove their case. And that's usually what they're going for in a lot of these cases is just to raise enough doubt. The standard is beyond a reasonable doubt uh, to have a jury question whether or not this person should be convicted. Thankfully, in a lot of cases, we are able to overcome that burden, and and in cases that obviously we believe the person has committed the crime, the correct person has committed the crime, we can we can get a conviction. But that's really kind of it's really a hard thing for people to wrap their minds around who are outside the system is that 
the system is set up to make it very difficult for the state to meet their burden, in part because in the criminal system, we don't take away your house, we don't take away your car, we take away your life, and not necessarily in a death penalty sort of way, but you know, you get restrictions placed on where you can go, who you can talk to, in some cases we put you in prison. So it's a huge burden for that reason. And that's why a lot of times you hear about you know, sex cases that the person loses a trial, but they get sued, and lo and behold, there's a settlement, because the burden of proof in a civil case, which is money, is much, much lower. Well, Gary, you're the best. Thank you for the work that you do. And I also know that this conversation can be quite heavy. So I'm going to put resources in the show notes for anyone who um, needs help or maybe needs to talk to someone about anything that's happened to you in your life regarding sexual sexual assault, sexual violence. But I just want to thank you for taking the time today. I feel like <laughs> we've we've referenced you on the podcast so many times, and I can't believe it's taken this long for you to actually like be on the show. But I just thank you so much for the work you and Amber do too, and Pella. And this, thank you for being here with us. Sure. Thanks for having me. Usually it's a, a little bit more fun conversation, but when you talk about my job, it's... <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's not a lot yeah. of fun cartoons about this sort of thing. No, there's really not. And Gary, has, is, you're hilarious, and you also do a car- you also cre- have created a cartoon. I think I referenced it before. Um what is the website for that? Or where can people find that piece? Just to like make a right turn to lightness. <laughs> <laughs> let's like uh, let's the, lighten it up. The cartoon is Dagunk, D-A-G-U-N-K. And it's on Facebook and Instagram. And it is pretty funny. Are you sure the the dry January one? That was the one that you ah, shared. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. That was a good one. Um, thank you, Gary. I'll talk to you soon, I'm sure. Yeah. Hi, Claire. Okay, bye. 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 Okay, cool. So uh, thank you for that huge conversation. I know we kind of took a little bit longer time than we than we planned, but it's a big it's a big conversation. And I think that just brought up a lot kind of unexpectedly in me. And I kind of had some thoughts where I'm like, there's some things that I really need to kind of process about situations in my life. And if that's coming up for you through all of this kind of, you know, we've, we've changed culturally of how things are viewed in the media and me too, and people coming forward and sharing their stories. And so I think that can, there's just been so many things on my mind where I'm like, wow, there's stuff that has happened in my life that I haven't processed and maybe just thought it was just normal. And I'm like, this actually wasn't normal. And so I just want to kind of share that for people if anyone else is going through the same thing. So thank you for sticking with us on something that was more of a heavy conversation. Gary truly is like one of the funniest people I know. So it's, it is kind of funny when he and I talk about serious stuff because I'm like, oh, that's just, it's, his job is so, so tough. Okay. So let's check in. And we got a funny, okay, this is just so like a silly, let's talk about something kind of silly. Um, did you watch the halftime show in the Super Bowl? I know this is like old news by the time we're talking about this and recording this, but did you watch the halftime show? Like glimpses of it. Okay. So JLo and Shakira were phenomenal, but all of a sudden there was like this drama about it being too sexual. And I'm like, okay, didn't Justin Timberlake and I did hear Janet Jackson. What is the big deal? I yeah. truly was shocked by the, the hubbub around. I know. I feel like at this point, this conversation has been it, had by everyone else it in has the world. Been. But I think I just want yeah. to go on record and say, not a big deal, guys. You don't get it. It was great. It's and they did deal. a phenomenal job. And I don't think it was inappropriate. I think that there's plenty of things on television that are inappropriate. I thought they had a, they looked like they were having so much fun. That's. Yeah. All I'm going to say about that. They totally did. Okay. How was your Valentine's Day? Talk about your meal. Oh, Talk about fun. the fun you had. 
I know. It was fun. We went, we had a gift card to a restaurant in Denver called The Kitchen, and it was really fun. And the best thing about it, not the best thing because the food was really good, but one thing I really appreciated about it is that whoever was like running the sound system really knew their audience of like mid 30s couples who just wanted to listen to Ja Rule. <laughs> Like, amazing. We're sitting there and all of a sudden Ja Rule comes on and Brandon was like, are we listening to Ja Rule? And I was like, yeah, but look around actually. This is genius. Like everyone in this restaurant is like between the ages of 30 and 45 and we are all just like, oh my God, is this Ja Rule? I used to love this song. Like whoever planned this playlist was spot on. They played that Eve and Gwen Stefani song. Oh my and- God. Gosh, yes, that's such a great. I, I, I heard that on Sirius XM, Pure Nineties or whatever. It's like some pure yeah. pop Nineties pop. It's great. Da, 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 da. I wanted to be Gwen Stefani so bad, and I know I talk about this all the time, but you guys, like, I cannot overstate how much I needed to be Gwen Stefani when I was in middle school and high school, and really like middle school in the first half of high school. Like, I wanted. I would wear my hair. I'd wake up at 5.30 in the morning to put my hair in micro buns. I wore bindies, like oh, rhinestone bindies I'm to school. I'm like dying for you to post a picture of that on Instagram. I know. Please. Well, this is the problem. The, the problem and the best thing about, you know, the 90s and early 2000s is that there were no cell phones. Nope. So you guys don't get to see I know. Me. I, have, I do have one picture from my eighth grade formal where I wore micro buns and a bindi. I also had braces. I had this like high-low black dress that was like had a red lining um it was i got it at charlotte roos oh charlotte it was roos yeah i really need to find that picture i know it's out there i know my dad like has it in his office because it was the formal and i got a picture of my dad um so there will be a bonus john hay appearance in that picture if i ever find it but man guys it was it was very fun to hear that song and i was like oh my gosh brandon was like do you know all the words this i was like i know the words to everyone stefani song don't judge me how do you think she's doing now like gwen stefani's really kind of she's doing great she's on the voice I know, I, I, but I just miss her no doubt identity. I really I do. I mean, obviously. Yeah. But I, sorry, I think if she was, it was time for her to move on, like, you know, 15 years ago when this Ugh. happened. And I just love her. I just want to dye my hair white blonde and be like her and yeah. do finger curls. Get it. <laughs> finger you know. curls. And I was texting you, I'm like, I really want to be pink. So I think we should just really keep that dream alive. Like, we're just don't lose hope, whatever your dream is. Oh, I love Pink's Instagram. Okay, so Gwen Stefani, love Israel, and your Valentine's Day was great. And what did I do for Valentine's Day? We went out to an early dinner, and then we watched the NBA celebrity game because it's All-Star Weekend when we're recording this, and Scott loves the dunk contest, which we recorded, and we're going to watch today. It's a very big deal. It actually is really fun. It's kind of like a tradition in our house now to watch that. I have a good email that uh, one of our listeners wrote us. And she actually sent it back in December. So we're a little late. Well, there's a lot of emails that you guys send us. And I'm sorry if we can't get every single one on the show. But she emailed us again. And this is a great way for you to get your email on the show is if you keep emailing us and saying, have you received my email? We're like, okay, this is very important. We need to pay attention to this. So I'm going to read this really quick. Ladies, I just wanted to stop by and tell you how much I love you too. I love your podcast. You keep it real by talking about difficult and unpleasant things, which in turn, I feel connects all of us so well. It's nice to know that your lives and other lives do have difficult and hard moments and events. I just want to pause Lindsay and say, yeah, we're all, we're all in that boat with you together. 
Social media is so much tulips and rainbows, and I often feel alienated when viewing that content. I just love how you two talk about real life and good parts and the bad or difficult parts, such as difficulty in our marriages, battling mental health issues, body image issues, negative self-talk, etc. It's just nice to hear about real life instead of the rainbow world of happiness. I wanted to share something I'm struggling with currently and see if your other listeners could relate or offer advice. So listeners, we need your advice. I'm 42 years old, have a very happy and uplifting marriage, have a wonderful profession that provides me significant self-esteem, and I feel really lonely. I feel I'm lacking deep, meaningful, genuine women friendships. How do we as educated, grown, mature women find these deep, meaningful friendships that our souls need? Could we discuss this with with your listeners? Could we discuss not only the where, but the why? Why do we need these deep, meaningful friendships? Could we do a social of all of us together with the intent of trying to make connections? I feel you two have the best platform for me to share my struggle and be open and ask to have a conversation about this. Thank you for all your time. You have dedicated to your little corner of the podcast world. We're listening and it feels good, Lindsay. Thank you, Lindsay. I like this question because this comes up a lot. And I think we've discussed it at some point throughout our seven years of podcasting, of course, but it's hard. It's hard to make friends as adults. I think we're, it's so, we're, we're constantly in a social world in your, in your teens and twenties of where you're kind of all in the same place in life. And then all of a sudden you're scattered about and you completely take different turns. And it's, it's harder and harder as you go different avenues to find people that are in the same avenues as you. So I, I think it's, it's valid, but I don't know. How do you tend to handle that, Claire? I think this is an interesting question because I feel like over the last probably generation, the amount of just face-to-face community time that we spend has decreased. And a lot of that has to do with just our, the social constructs of our culture have really changed. Like a generation ago, a lot of people, a lot more people went to church regularly, yep. a lot more people, you know, just had smaller communities, you had the same job for most of your life instead of changing jobs every couple of years, which is now more the norm. And I think it also was a lot more a generation ago, people didn't have to hold two jobs in order to make ends meet, you know, like we had more free time because things financially for a lot of people were a little bit easier. Like all this to say that just so many factors in our culture have convened to make it so that going out or not even going out, but just being in your community in a way that allows you to make adult friends has become harder and harder. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, I remember a couple of years ago when I was interviewed for the On Being blog about CrossFit, the the whole hypothesis of the researcher who interviewed me, she had been getting her master's in divinity from Harvard, and sh- her research was all based on this concept that, like, people are leaving churches at a super high rate. So, but we also know that the need for community is core to our needs as human beings. So like, where yeah. are people going? Yeah. And one of her findings was that people were going to CrossFit gyms and that people, you know, kind of jokingly would be like, oh, this is my church. But like, really, at the end of the day, like it did, it did kind of play that role where you had this community, you all had this shared value system mm-hmm. that in a way it was very similar actually to going to church in terms of that community and in terms of those different needs. So I think that this is interesting because we've also, I think, seen this problem in dating that because of what I just described, it's harder to organically meet people if you're looking romantically, but we've kind of not solved that problem, but like the way that we've addressed that problem is through online dating. But, and there are apps out there that are like quote unquote friend dating, but they definitely have not 
taken off. Yeah, I think people are very skeptical. My, at least I'm speaking for myself, because I'm very skeptical of those. Because I get worried. Like, I think with anyone who uses them for dating, is like, is this going to be someone who is like single white female or something? I don't know. Just I don't want to be putting myself out there that way. It feels really weird. But maybe I need to try it. Yeah. I don't know. Well, and I think that like, I just bring that up to say that like, you know, we have the same problem in other aspects, one of them being dating. We've kind of created this like this solution via the internet, but it just doesn't feel the same right. for friendships. Right. And so it's hard because, you know, if you you don't necessarily want to make friends with your coworkers, you know, that can be sticky for a lot of different reasons. And outside of that, like if you're at work all day, every, you know, all day, all week, what, you know, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to like join a squash league? Like yeah. there's just not a lot of options. Yeah. I think for me, the way that I have, well, first of all, I feel like my situation is a little bit unique in that I still live in my hometown. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the people who I connect with are people who I've known since high school when it was Mm -hmm. easier to meet people. And then the other way that I connect with people is mostly through CrossFit and also like other, uh, I think it's also a little bit easier when you're a parent because you have that immediate thing in common with other people. And if you, you know, like Miles is at a Waldorf school, they are is like a very specific type of not ideology, like ethos that goes into putting your child into a Waldorf school. And so like, I have a lot in common inherently with a lot of these other parents. So that makes it a little bit easier. Like friend dates and not friend dates, um, play dates where you're kind of getting together and it's easier for the parents to get together. The other thing I want to add to that is I noticed that when we make friends when we're teenagers or in our 20s, I, th- I say that I just use that as an example because I feel like teens into your 20s is kind of when you're the most, uh, it's the most organic time to just make friends because you're always together and you're, ha- you're fun and you're carefree and you're constantly doing things together and it's just the norm of of spending time together. But I think what, I don't know if you feel this way, but when we get older, I think we don't know how to make friends because we kind of assume that we have to use that same template of when we're in our teens and 20s. So it feels weird because we develop really strong relationships with people who we've known for a really long time. So I think that's at least how I feel when I meet someone. It feels like I have to be very defensive or I'm really worried about this person. Like if you want to become friends with them, I don't know how to make friends with someone mid middle age because my template of making friends with people has been like so you know fast and furious and like we're we're doing the best friend thing and like you kind of assume that everyone needs to become your best friend and that's just not the case like you can be friends with someone casually and be friends with someone at a cross crossfit gym and you don't all of a sudden need to like be deep into like the bff world like i think that's just kind of where we go with it and i think i'm realizing that we kind of glossed over the second part of this person's questions which is not only like how but i think when you were saying that, like, well, you don't have to be best friends with everybody. It sounds like what she's asking is like, I actually do want that. Like, I want to find some deeper friendships. Not just how can I do that, but let's talk about why we need that and just validate that like, yeah, like you're, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, my husband's my best friend. Like, that's not that, you know, if that's how you feel about your husband, that's great. But you also need other people in your life. You You can't have just one person to be all of those things because then if you get in a fight or, you know, whatever, like just even if everything is still great, like one person is, you know, after a while you're like, okay, I need some variety in my social right. life. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. And I agree of why we need it and how we do it. So the why, obviously, we do like 
connection. I think that's why people love podcasts because you can find anything these days. You can find your tribe anywhere or online. You know, it's kind of message boards. Podcasts are the new message boards or message boards used to be all the, the rage and, you know, um, MySpace and Facebook and all that, where it's like we find our tribes. And so I think that that's just a really important thing. We want to feel connection. Connection is the healer of all traumas in our life. I, I truly believe that. That's totally a Brene Brown thing is like, how do we heal all of this hurt in our lives is connection, connection with people. So of course we are drawn to that. And then the how is truly putting yourself in more situations where you're around like-minded people. And I don't know what that looks like for every single person, but I think as long as you find opportunities, I know myself, I tend to want to isolate when I'm kind of feeling down. And I think that I have to do the complete opposite because it's not good for me to isolate when I'm feeling down. So if I, you know, schedule dates, schedule lunches, schedule coffees, whatever, or if you have to make friends, go to a CrossFit gym, go to a gym, go to a class, try class fast, go to a bunch of different classes. I think there's a ton of different ways to do it, but it is possible. And this podcast provides a lot of great community. So you can always reach out to us if you just, you know, need to chat, send us a DM. I mean, obviously we're not going to be your BFF over DMs, but we can certainly just say hi. We are here for you, but that's a great question. So thank you, Lindsay, for writing us. And you can write us at thisisjoyandclaire at gmail.com. You can leave us a voice memo. We actually have a new, I set up a Google voice account. So you can actually go to the contact button on our Instagram page to send us an email, or you can dial the number that's on the contact page just right from your phone. Leave us a voice memo there. Real easy. We love our voice memos. We love hearing your voice. We will play some on our podcast in future episodes. So feel free to leave us your thoughts and concerns or topics that are really kind of on your mind lately that you want us to discuss on the podcast. Thank you again for hanging in there with us today on a very difficult conversation that came up. I think that a lot of us heard that episode and we're kind of like a lot of emotions came to the forefront. I know a lot of people said that they had to turn it off because it was very triggering and I can completely understand that. So if any discussion today brought up some emotions for you, I will put resources in the show notes for you to reach out and get the support that you need. Or if you have any questions or concerns or reactions to this episode and this discussion that we had with Gary, you can email us. Again, that's this is joinclair at gmail.com. You can support the podcast by leaving us a review anywhere that you listen to the show. Um, certainly on Apple Podcasts is where we get the most traction and where most people will find our show. You can leave it from your phone. You can do five stars. You can give us a comment. We love all of it. So we just appreciate any support in any way that you can show that for This is Joy and Claire. And don't forget to check out our sponsor, Four Sigmatic, foursigmatic.com forward slash joy and or discount code joy, just J-O-Y. Super easy, super straightforward. Go get yourself some Four Sigmatic. Have a good beverage. All right. Yeah. So let's All lighten right, it up. Here's your favorite song. We'll see you next week. Move with the good. Shake it up. Stop when the clock is 13. Keep it working. Watch your blood.